Welcome to Daily Grace. We believe that the Bible is true, trustworthy, and timeless. And we want to help women like you know and love God's Word. The Bible shows us who God is, and who He is changes everything. My name is Joanna. And I'm Stephanie. Come join us as we chat about the truth of God's Word in our everyday lives. What is the value of women? Where does a woman's value and purpose come from? Our culture has a lot to say on this. Actually, this is a charged topic inside and outside the church. Some people even think the Bible devalues women. Today, we are joined by Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker, and they encourage us to dialogue on this divisive topic in a respectful manner, as they did in their book, Worthy, Celebrating the Value of Women. Eric and Elise encourage us to go to Scripture to really see the value God has placed on women, and in response, to celebrate the women in our lives. Come join our conversation. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Daily Grace. Joanna and Stephanie here, as usual. Hello, everyone. So today, we are really excited to invite two guests on our show, Eric Shoemaker and Elise Fitzpatrick, and they have graciously agreed to come and talk to us about a topic that is really a, maybe a hot topic today, one Mm -hmm. that can be kind of difficult to discuss, but so, so important, and that is the value and the worth of women, Um, and we are just so grateful to have them on the show. So Eric and Elise, welcome. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, we are so grateful to have both of you on. I am personally deeply grateful for both of your willingness to foster open and respectful dialogue on a topic that is undeniably charged, I would say, um, both inside and outside of the church. And, you know, I have to confess um, that this is a topic that I have personally been a bit hesitant to dialogue about, almost out of fear. And Eric, I know you said something like this on your podcast, but I realized that I had been using this topic as sort of an informal litmus test to judge other people's orthodoxy. And that is so unhelpful. And and I needed to repent of that. And yeah, just as I was reading your book, Worthy, um, there were so many moments of confession for me, moments of clarity, and so many tender moments as well when I just saw how God displayed his value for women by giving them such an intentional role in redemptive history. And your book does that so, so well. So thank you for your work and your continued work on the podcast. And we're just so grateful to have you. Um, But for our listeners who may not be familiar with who you are, could each of you kind of tell us a little bit about who you are and then kind of tell us how the two of you got connected and, you know, about your projects going on? So my name is Elise Fitzpatrick and I am married. I have been married for 46 almost years. And uh, I have three kids and six grandkids. I live in Southern California. Um, Mm -hmm. In the early 1990s, I was trained in biblical counseling and began my writing career. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, I have written some books and speak uh, publicly at conferences and retreats. Mm -hmm. Great. 
What about you, Eric? Yeah, um, I'm Eric, and I've been married to Jenny for 21 years, and mm-hmm. uh, we have five children. And so I'm a associate pastor uh, here in Iowa, my home state, mm-hmm. and I've been pastoring for about 17 years. And mm-hmm. um, I'm also a songwriter, and so I, I've been writing worship music for about 20 years. That's awesome. Great. And how did the two of you get connected? Uh, basically through Twitter. So I, uh, I, I sent out a string of tweets uh, on women in the Bible, and uh, mm-hmm. the Gospel Coalition asked me to turn it into an article. And Elise read that article, and we got connected on social media, and she asked me to come on to her family podcast, which was a lot of fun. Front Porch with the Fitzes, right? <laughs> Front Porch with the yeah. Fitzes. Yeah, yeah, you got to go listen. Um Listener discretion advised. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a circus. It's very fun. It's, it's very a lot fun. Of fun. And so she said, you should write a book. You should turn this article into a book. And I said, you should write this with me. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, I'm so glad that you did connect because just like Stephanie said, this book has already been so helpful for me oh, yeah. um, also. And, you know, like Stephanie mentioned, this topic of a woman's value is particularly charged. Um, And, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was just kind of wondering, why is that? Why is it that this topic tends to cause such division? Mm. So I was wondering if you all could share what is kind of the cultural climate, both inside the church and outside the church, that we are stepping into when we embark on this kind of conversation. (laughs) Yeah, the climate is very much charged inside and outside of the Mm. church. And so outside of the church, uh, you have, uh, I forget what wave of feminism we're in now, Uh, but (laughs) some of the conversations that the church is having are absolutely foreign to the culture outside of the church um, in terms of the questions about so-called roles and that sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. The the culture's having the conversation of whether there's even such thing as a man and a woman, and if Mm -hmm. you can flow Mm -hmm. back and forth between those. And so, and inside the church, it's a very different conversation. And often that conversation is is around the topic of, of these roles, what are women allowed to do and not do and that sort of thing, and how do they fit into ministry. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think at the heart of it all, this is a gospel issue. And, and what yeah. I mean by that is both inside and outside the church, we are looking for affirmation and approval. And outside mm-hmm. of the church, the world is saying, you can't define me. You can't tell me what I am. You can't tell me what to do. And mm-hmm. I get to affirm and approve of myself. And and inside the church, we have these doctrinal distinctions, um, mm-hmm. and I would define these as secondary, but a lot of people, I think, have made these primary, uh, first-level mm, or right. yeah. orthodoxy. And when someone comes along and says, um, you're wrong uh, on this, or I see things differently, I think sometimes we find our approval and our affirmation with God based on our theological correctness. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's threatening to us when someone disagrees with us. And for some reason, this is a really hot button issue for people to disagree with us on. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, when we look at the gospel that Christ lived for us, he died for our sins, he rose from the dead, and God gives us free and final justification, his declaration mm-hmm. of righteousness, his approval through the imputed righteousness of Christ when we trust in him, that should mm-hmm. free us. 
to be able to ask the question, am I wrong? Am I missing mm, something yeah. in my application or my beliefs? And I, I think for some reason, this issue can become a substitute gospel. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think you're right. I think this is like an, a gospel issue. And, you know, Eric, something that you said on your podcast, which we will link in our show notes for people to check out, um, was, you know, how experience is normative, you know, how each of us has a unique story and we have our own fears and biases and and that can kind of color how we approach this topic. So with that in mind, um, what can we do to posture ourselves in such a way to gracefully and graciously engage in these conversations that have the tendency to be so divisive? So either one of you can answer that one. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, thank you. That's a, that's a really wonderful question. You know, I think that's, that's what we need to continue to be asking ourselves as we enter into conversation about the value of women, which is mm-hmm. um, how can we have this conversation without having a knee-jerk sort of reaction or thinking yeah. that somehow if we even have the conversation, what we are doing is uh, sliding down some slope into um, feminism or whatever. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do, um, James writes in uh, James chapter three, he says, the wisdom that comes down from above is first pure, then peace loving, gentle, mm-hmm. compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So in other words, whenever I enter into this conversation, I want to ask myself, am am I I seeking to be peace-loving, gentle, compliant, pure, Mm -hmm. full of mercy, full of mercy? And so when Mm, I talk with people who want to fuss about this, I need to remember the very things that Eric was just saying, which is these are probably people who have found their righteousness in their view of this issue. And so that's Mm -hmm. why we get, we don't get um, most of our pushback from men. We get some pushback that we get from women. And and the reason that I think that we're getting that is because we're afraid that if we come off of this issue at all in any other way than the way that it is normally talked about in very conservative circles, that somehow we're losing our identity. We want to be the right ones. We want to be the ones who get the Bible straight. We want Mm -hmm. not to be like the world. And if we're trying to find our identity in that, rather than in the righteousness of Christ, Mm-hmm. then we're, um, mm-hmm. then we're going to fuss and, yeah. you know, we're not going to be compliant. We won't even want to be compliant because it terrifies us to think that somehow maybe we've gotten our identity wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, you know, that's not to say that we shouldn't try to understand scripture rightly because we should, you know, there is an intended meaning of the text. We do believe that it is inspired by God and it's our authority on truth and that we should 
work towards trying to understand what the text of scripture is actually saying and what it means. But, you know, I think that you're so right that what can happen to us is that we can become so prideful about being the ones who are right about the Bible that it gets in the way of us actually seeing when we might be wrong. And so we need to approach scripture with a humble heart and a humble mind so that we can see what is it that God is actually saying here in the text. And I think that's the difference between valuing a right understanding of scripture versus our identity being rooted in the ones who are right. Mm -hmm. Because I completely identify with that fear of that slippery slope. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Oh, well, if if I say this, or even if I use this kind of terminology, then either that's going to be perceived as a certain viewpoint, or maybe I am going to go too far in the other direction. But I love that Mm -hmm. we have that freedom to approach God's word with humility and to see what he has to say about these things. And so I'd love for us to jump into that. First off, where does a woman's worth come from? Why is a woman valuable? Well, I think that's the key question in this discussion And I want to say first where it doesn't come from. It doesn't Mm -hmm. come from what she does. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because, uh, you know, at least mentioned the pushback that we get from women. And a lot of the pushback we get from men uh, is from pastors Mm -hmm. who feel like we haven't been clear enough or strong enough on what a woman's allowed to do or to not do. And so mm-hmm. we've written a book about the value of women, not about the roles, so to speak, of women in the church right. or in the mm-hmm. world. And some pastors can't conceive of a conversation about the value of women without making central what a woman can and can't do, yeah. which yeah. might betray the belief that a woman's value is found in her limitations. And mm. that's that's really wrong. Uh, mm. Where her yeah. value comes from is from her creator and from her redeemer. Mm-hmm. And so mm. in Genesis 1 and 2, we see her created, uh, God creates man and woman in the image and likeness of God, which as we unpack mm. in the book, uh, refers to being uh, relating to him as a father. And also being a royal representative mm-hmm. of the of the king of the earth. And so uh, just like a, a painting finds its value in the worth of the artist, mm-hmm. a woman finds her value in the worth of her creator. She is created to image forth mm-hmm. his worth and his glory. And of course, yeah. as we read in scripture, uh, you know, Paul says in Romans 3, uh, we they have all become worthless. So Mm -hmm. in sin, we have all failed to image forth the worth of our creator, and and that's where worthlessness comes from, uh, Mm -hmm. from our rebellion against his worth. And what happens in Christ is we see that those who hope in God's saving promises are turned into, as Hebrews 11 says, men and women of whom the world is not worthy. Uh, because we're clothed mm. with the worth of Christ mm. uh, by mm. grace through faith. Yeah. And so that that's where our worth comes from, from our relationship with God as his creatures and as his redeemed people. Yeah. Mm. That is so beautiful and such a powerful description in our culture and even Christian culture that wants to say, 
you are worthy, but without any real reason why. Mm -hmm. And that is so powerful to understand that we are created in the image of God and redeemed by the blood of Christ and have his righteousness as our own. So that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I love what you're saying is that it's the creator who determines the value and worth of the creation. Um, But just to kind of expound on that and really say it clearly here, is a woman's worth different than a man's worth in any way? Um, Well, no. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, um, Again, as Eric said, our value, our worth doesn't come from the work we do. It comes Mm. from the fact that we have been created in our being, ontologically Mm -hmm. is the word, we are created in God's image. And it's his imprint on us, male and female, that gives us value. Uh, As Eric said, if you have a painting, well, oil on canvas doesn't necessarily uh, have any value. But if the signature on the canvas is Van Gogh, then it Mm -hmm. has value. So no, there's Mm. there's no difference at all. And also, even considering the work that women and men are to do, uh, you might say, well, you know, a a mayor would have more value than a trash collector. Well, just let the trash collector Mm. not do his job for Mm. a month or so. (laughs) And then you're going to have a lot of value in what he does. So what we want to do is we want Mm. to move away from this uh, perspective that the people who have leadership roles are people who have more value than other people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, does the president or does a mayor have power? Yes, of course. But that doesn't, that doesn't, and necessarily equate into value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right. you know, again, um, men and women are equally created in the image of God. And because of that, they have equal value. Yeah. And, you know, we believe that it is so important that when we look at these things, that we are founding our beliefs about who we are on God's word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people tend to object to the Bible because they say that it devalues women um, or presents an idea of women that allows them to be oppressed. Um, How would you respond to that perception of scripture and its treatment of women? Uh, I'd respond by telling them to buy our book and to read it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I agree for sure. yeah, it's that's a long conversation, but I would right. uh, one of the reasons we wrote worthy, um, you know, I, I really wanted to in all the conversation about uh, me too and then church too, there can be this common perception that conservative Christianity is, as you said, oppressive to women, and mm-hmm. that the Bible uh, oppresses women, treats them as property, devalues them. And I want to show, you know, Lisa and I want to show that you can read the Bible as conservatives from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, taking the Bible on its own terms as the inspired and authoritative word of God. And what you have at the end is a message from cover to cover 
that values women uh, just as much as it values men. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. you know, one of my favorite passages is uh, the creation of woman in Genesis chapter 2. You know, the Lord scoops out this chunk of Adam's side and fashions the woman and brings her to him. Mm-hmm. And and he sings. It's a it's a poetic exclamation. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's essentially a song. And Adam is celebrating this at long last is the same thing I am. All the animals mm-hmm. have been prayed mm-hmm. before him, and they're obviously not human. And what he's celebrating isn't that she's different than him, but that she's the same. This mm-hmm. is a partner who is fit to join him in the task of exercising dominion over the face of the earth. And Mm -hmm. that's a theme that runs through the rest of the Bible. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even as the promise of the gospel is given, the promise of the Redeemer Son is phrased in terms of the seed of the woman. Mm -hmm. God didn't have to Mm -hmm. say seed of the woman. He could have said a son will be born. But Mm -hmm. he recognizes this seed is coming through the woman And if you'll look for that as you walk through the Old Testament, what you'll see is again and again, the line of the seed, um, the the line, the ancestry of this promised one is threatened. And Mm -hmm. bold, courageous women step forward and rescue this line time and time again. The Old Testament storyline wouldn't continue if it wasn't for this blessed alliance between men and women. And you get Mm -hmm. into the... New Testament, and you find a group of women that are with Jesus, uh, you know, the Gospels say wherever he went, and they supported him out of their own means. The only financial support we know of for Jesus' itinerant ministry is these women. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they're, in a sense, partners with him uh, as he goes on. And then you move into the church, and Paul Mm -hmm. is greeting women and thanking women for their service, and he's calling them partners with him. He's sending Phoebe with a letter to the Romans and saying, receive her in a manner worthy of the saints. And then you Mm -hmm. get to Revelation, and you have the church who's depicted as the bride of Christ, and she is going to reign with him forever. And um, so from beginning to end, uh, the Bible is seeing women as, as integral, and even in those tricky places where we might have distinctions in the church, uh, particularly the office of elder, or we have uh, the law that is has these strange laws that sometimes pertain to women, you know, I'd say in the law, what we're seeing is God is actually in the ancient Near East elevating the status of women, and he's making mm. sure that in his laws she's protected and can't be abused and thrown mm. away. And I think in the church and in marriage, um, as as a as a complementarian who sees some distinctions there, mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing is uh, is a picture presented of Christ in the church. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. do with the abilities or value of men and women being different. It has to do with God having an institution where He wants to show us something about what Jesus and His church are like. Man, there's so much there, <laughs> and I think you're right. We could talk about this all day, and I would totally agree that our listeners need to go read your book um, because you do, both of you do such a beautiful job of tracing this biblical theology of women from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Um, And it's so helpful to see and so powerful Mm -hmm. to really step back and take a look at these women and the value that God has placed on them in his word. 
Yeah, I will say I've I had, you know, teary eye moments reading the book. Um, just to see so clearly the incredible value God has placed on women. And, you know, I'm curious um, for each of you, what has been the most eye-opening or surprising thing that you have discovered as you have walked through um, just seeing the inclusion of women in the Bible and in redemptive history? Well, so for me, you know, I've been attending church since 1971, and I have heard some, not all, of the stories of women and a lot of times the way that, they, that women are portrayed uh, in the preaching that I have heard, um, mm-hmm. it, is, it is as though women were um, temptresses, women were, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying that women aren't sinful, we're not saying that, but a lot right, of these right. stories have been twisted in such a way that women come out um, sort of as the person who's the problem for everything. So for instance, mm. quickly, the, uh, the story of the Samaritan woman. I mean, what do you know about her? Well, she was married five times and the man she's living with is not her husband. And we've heard her denigrated. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I should say I have heard her yeah, denigrated no. mm-hmm. over and over and over again without understanding the reality that this woman had, she's not the person who's divorcing a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. She had no right to divorce. So she has been used and abused, basically sent away from her home five different times. Now, why? So the Old Testament says that a man can give a woman a certificate of divorce if he finds some indecency in her. That's such a broad, wide open statement. Who even knows what that means? But in any Mm -hmm. case, Mm -hmm. she wasn't the person who was in Mm -hmm. charge of those divorces. And as a woman who undoubtedly uh, at the point after her fifth divorce that uh, she needed, she had no one to protect her. She had undoubtedly uh, no rights, no financial provision. And so she's going mm-hmm. to live with someone in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Now, how has she been painted? Well, she's been painted as this immoral, loose woman. Well, the reality is she's the first person in the New Testament to whom Jesus reveals himself as Messiah. Mm. Okay, Mm -hmm. it's her. She's the first one. And also, Mm -hmm. she is venerated in the Eastern Orthodox Church as a woman whose name is Fotine. And Fotine, uh, tradition has it that this Samaritan woman, Fotine, uh, eventually left Samaria and went to North Africa to uh, spread the gospel with two Mm -hmm. sons of hers and uh, was eventually martyred for the faith. Now you take that Mm. picture of Fotine and the picture of the Samaritan woman, which we have had for years, and Mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about here. There Mm -hmm. is an amazing Mm -hmm. difference. If you actually step back and look at the stories and think about the context, about the way women have been painted. Yeah, Mm. yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, Mm. I think for me, um, there were a lot of surprising things, but I think one of the biggest is just that women are there in the story, mm-hmm. that they're there. And, uh, it, you know, when you go, it's like when you buy a car and you buy a certain make and model of a car, all of a sudden you're driving down the highway and you see them you everywhere. See everywhere, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you'd never seen them before. And yeah. I think writing a book on this topic, it, you go through looking for the women. And so even as I wrote yeah. uh, 
the the chapters on women in the ministry of Jesus. I drafted those chapters. Mm-hmm. So I sat down and I literally went through the four gospels and I just listed every place a woman appeared. And it was amazing. I think mm-hmm. half mm-hmm. the people that Jesus interacts with, or more than half in the gospel of Luke, something like that, is mm-hmm. are women. And, wow. and he's making this choice to highlight these stories. And in our church, you know, I've had a few different women and men tell me our, our church is going through the book of Acts right now, and it's men's and women's Bible mm-hmm. studies. Mm-hmm. And people have said, the women are just popping out at me. You know, I've read through the mm-hmm. Bible. Uh, I, I had a woman stop in my office, and she's, she said, I've read through the Bible every year for something like 40 years. And she said, after reading Worthy, mm-hmm. she said, now in my Bible reading plan, and you know, it's, it, we're just two months into the year, she said, mm-hmm. right. she said, the women are just popping out everywhere. And and they're yeah. saying that in Acts. They're saying, I've, yeah. I've never noticed these women are present yeah. everywhere in this. And, uh, you know, just as... So people who've been lifelong readers of the Word, myself as a, as a preacher for 17 years, mm-hmm. it's amazing how we take women for granted and mm-hmm. don't see them in the Bible mm. where God inspired yeah. their presence. Right. right. And, you know, yeah. I think that's the point, right? We're not saying like, we're proponents of feminism in any way. We're just saying, let's see how God has designed the church. And something you say, Elise, on your podcast is like, we don't want to squander the gifts that God has given his bride and we need each other. We are the body of Christ. And so, yeah, I'm the same way as that lady just after reading your book and now, you know, going back to the word, it's just, it's amazing. (laughs) You know, I would love to kind of dive into a little bit some of the misperceptions mm-hmm. about women yeah. um, that tend to appear within Christianity. So I was wondering if you could kind of point some of those out, some false beliefs, some misconceptions about women, and what impact that has on the way that women are treated and really on the health of the body of Christ as a whole. I think there can be so, so many of those. Mm-hmm. You know, Lise mm-hmm. mentioned earlier that sometimes women are presented as uh, temptresses, seductresses mm-hmm. uh, who are out to mislead us. And mm-hmm. I, I think some of that um, occurs just from when you look at the passages about the fall and the curse that's coming. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things I cover in the book is I preached for years in Genesis 3 that Eve mishandled the word of God uh, when mm-hmm. she spoke with the serpent. And, and I don't think that's mm-hmm. true. Um, I, I think she's actually giving, she's reciting back the Lord's command in an acceptable way where she grasps the intent of what he means. Uh-huh. And uh, mm-hmm. so I don't think, the, the Bible never says that women are more apt to mishandle the word of God uh, or more easily mm-hmm. duped than men are. Mm-hmm. And then I think that passage uh, where the Lord is in Genesis 3 uh, recounting the consequences of the fall, and he says to the woman that uh, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. I've always interpreted that because I was told what it meant was that she will have this desire to usurp him and Mm -hmm. to uh, Mm -hmm. rebel against his leadership. And in response, he's going to have to rule her, either meaning he's going to have to subdue her or he's going to be harsh in his response Mm -hmm. to her. And, and, and there's, there's a reason for that interpretation, because in a few chapters, the Lord says to Cain, uh, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire mm-hmm. is for you, but you must rule over it. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. 
So the desire there is taken as it wants to overcome you and conquer you. Um, but, but I think the desire is used more in the sense of where that word appears again in Song of Solomon, where this woman has a romantic, affectionate, uh, covenant mm-hmm. desire for her husband that's right and good. And so as I looked back, just as that, at that text in its original context, which is where we always start when we interpret the Bible, it, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's in the middle of a set of uh, verses that are all poetry, and in the context, what's happening with the man and the woman is the Lord is speaking about good, created desires that they have yeah. and the frustration that's going to come as a result of the fall. And so the man has the good mm-hmm. desire to cultivate the ground and to eat bread, but it's going to happen by the sweat of his brow and thorns mm-hmm. and thistles are going to grow. What's going on with the woman is she has a right desire for her husband. Uh, She has a right desire to have children, but that's going to be frustrated because he's going to rule over her in a harsh way. He's not going to cooperate with her desire, and childbearing is going to be painful. Uh, The Mm -hmm. the pain is going to be increased. And I think if we make her desire a negative and sinful thing there, we actually ruin the parallel way that Hebrew poetry works. Mm -hmm. I think we do violence to the text. And Mm -hmm. so how that plays itself out is if you believe that about women, that they are by nature usurpers who are out to overthrow men, then as a pastor, you become suspicious of the women in your church who have strong voices, who Mm -hmm. point out what's Mm -hmm. wrong, who bring to you scripture and they have observations from it and they want to speak into things in the church. You automatically see her as this, not a partner, not part of a blessed alliance. You see her as a threat. Uh, I think that can come out in... Um, I know this is a hot topic, but the the Billy Graham rule where uh, a man won't meet with a woman alone, even in public, you know, to have coffee with Mm -hmm. her or lunch with her because of appearances, because she might tempt him, those sorts of things. There can be a wise Mm -hmm. place for that. I think Billy Graham had wise reasons for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we can begin to treat women as only being snares that we have to watch out for instead of gifts who are helps to us and partners with us. Mm, yeah. yeah. Could you guys flesh that out a bit more practically? You know, how should seeing the worth of women and men, you know, as God, the creator of mankind does really transform the way we live and interact with one another? Well, I think, Eric, I just, I love what you had to say about, you know, the, the whole mindset that mm-hmm. I think is just rife in the church, which is that women are easily deceived. I mean, I've heard Mm -hmm. that my entire Christian life. Mm -hmm. And so in in order to help people respond to that, you know, the first thing would be would be to 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 really push back against that and to do so in, you know, in a God honoring and humble way. So Mm -hmm. how do how should we treat women and men? We should treat them with honor and dignity as people who've yeah. been created mm-hmm. in the image of God. And um, mm-hmm. so practically speaking, what that means is that when I'm speaking to men or to women, I want to remember these are people created in the image of God, people who are valued by him, people who have worth, no matter if they agree or disagree with me, and to seek to respond in the same way that Jesus Christ has responded to me which is, of course, 
that over and over and over again in the decades that I've been a believer, Christ has been patient and loving with me, willing to wait as he works in my heart to bring mm-hmm. to bring me along. And um, so, you know, I, I, I want to I want to treat other people. I want to treat men. I want to treat the leaders in my church. I, I have all male leadership, of course, in my church. Uh, but I want to treat them with honor and dignity and remember mm-hmm. that they are sinful and flawed, just like me. Yeah. You see, mm-hmm. just yeah. like me. And I would like to think that I have my whole theological doctrine act together. But the reality is I don't. Right. <laughs> I, and I, I have to come to realize that there is a very good possibility that I'm very wrong mm-hmm. and yet hold to truth as though I knew for sure it was true. So, you know, mm-hmm. and, and also to recognize that I have blind spots. And so in that way, then yeah. in humility to treat other people in that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is so helpful and so challenging. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you talk in your book about celebrating the value of women and the worth of women. And so what are some practical ways that we can do that, that we can celebrate and value women in our families, in our churches, in our communities? What, what does it look like to include and celebrate women in a biblical way? Well, I think one thing it doesn't mean we don't celebrate women by including them as mere tokens. And so mm-hmm. we say, hey, look, here's the woman we include in this, um, just mm-hmm. because she's a woman, uh, not because she has any actual value. I, I think that's mm-hmm. actually insulting right. to women. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, in my church, um, when I am up for preaching, I will often send an email out to five men and five women in the congregation a week ahead of time and ask them to read through the passage mm-hmm. and reply to me with um, helpful observations on the text, application mm-hmm. to their place in life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in our services, uh, we have our music team helps to read the liturgy. And so I have mm-hmm. women reading the leadership parts of that, um, reading, doing the scripture reading, um, I have women who write our church's Sunday morning liturgy, and they don't write it because mm-hmm. they're women. They write it because they're good at it. Uh, but I include yeah. women in the list of people I consider who would be good at this, and uh, right. not just because they're women. Uh, I, I right. think, you know, in our in our families, giving meaningful responsibility to my wife um, and to my daughter and valuing them for what they can do and be, uh, again, not as tokens, but because they actually have these skills and these, this, this uh, wisdom to be able to do these mm-hmm. things. Uh, and, and likewise, mm-hmm. in, our, in our communities, I think um, as we look for the ways that women um, are included and helpful, and I think also listening to them is a really practical mm-hmm. way I think our culture is so politicized uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways that we can interpret the Me Too or the Church Too movement. Anytime you have people who have been mistreated and they're speaking out, it, it's automatically received as a liberal agenda. 
And so mm-hmm. y- if you're a conservative and, and a lot of Christians fall on the political spectrum conservatively, uh, but not all, mm-hmm. uh, but I think part of the narrative is you have to automatically be suspect of and against uh, those kind of mm-hmm. conversations. Uh, and a few years ago, the guy that was choked to death in New York City, uh, the black man that was selling uh, unlicensed cigarettes. Yes, Eric Garner, right? Right. I, I started to watch those videos of mm-hmm. the um, Black Lives Matter that were mm-hmm. coming up in that movement. And I'm watching these videos and I'm going, I, I cannot conceive of any reason this person should have died in this situation. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. There was a time in my life when I would have never believed it. I would have searched mm-hmm. for every excuse mm-hmm. to excuse the white police officer. Yeah. And so I know why my black friends are saying, hey, no one's listening to us and something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. And that made me want to listen to women as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I've sent out letters to women in my congregation uh, with questions and invited them, hey, can we sit down and have coffee and I just want to hear what it's like to be a woman in the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has been so eye-opening just to shut my mouth <laughs> and listen. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a really practical way we can honor women. Yeah. Thank you so much for you know being willing to share those things. Um, you're not alone. I mean, even me as a woman um, kind of have just had those similar experiences, um, you know, and I think you're right. We just have this fear of, we just think that if we engage in these conversations, if we're just open to these dialogues that we're playing into the cultural narrative, but that's not true. We're just fighting to have a high view of God and in turn have a high view of of his image bearers and, and those made in his likeness. And And, you know, many of us have been in situations, I think, where we have experienced the devaluing of women or um, maybe I've noticed women being um, treated as maybe of secondary importance. Um, So how do we personally move forward from, you know, any mistreatment due to gender? You know, is there a way to graciously and lovingly address those issues in hopes of change? Well, you know, that's such a great question. And that's what we're really hoping that the book and our podcast and the things we're doing, of course, what we're doing with you here today is, is you know, we can't, we can't move past these things until we're actually talking about them with each other yeah. mm-hmm. and, and not assuming the worst about yeah. someone. So if someone uh, says, oh, I was abused in church to not then automatically make the worst assumption and mm. but you know mm. for us again for us to to help people who have uh, been in those situations is you know to listen and you yeah. know I really appreciate what Eric was saying about uh, racism uh, and it, it was a couple of years ago my my daughter came to me and she said, uh, Mom, you need to start reading because you don't know what's going on. <laughs> and uh, and I started reading and we started talking to people who were people of color just to listen to their stories. And that was so important. So mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. to begin to understand, all right, these are the presuppositions I have come to and I need to allow them to be challenged. And again, the only way we will be willing to do that 
is if we first of all find our identity in Christ. Yeah. yeah. If Amen. I find my identity in my rightness, my conservatism, my republicanism, my uh, conservative church isms, if I if that's where I find my identity, then I'm not going to want to listen or mm-hmm. or even be willing to say, hey, I might be wrong. So mm-hmm. also then if we're trying to help people to again, you know, remem- remind people um, to find their identity in Christ and to uh, acquaint themselves with the truths about how God and Jesus in particular interact with, interacted with and loved women. Uh, I mean, just again, as Eric said, the ways that uh, women, and particularly Luke, he loved to write about women for some reason, the way that they're talked about in Scripture. And then to really ask for wisdom, Lord, help me to know how to go forward with my concerns. Because what Mm -hmm. we don't want to do is we don't want to go forward in such a way that what we're actually doing is pushing the conversation backward. But then on the other hand, what we don't want to do is not move the conversation forward. And sometimes, and that's why we have to ask for wisdom. And again, James tells us, if we ask for wisdom, we will get it. We have Mm -hmm. to ask for wisdom and say, Lord, help me to know how to say the things that need to be said now and how to say them in Mm -hmm. a respectful and humble way. And yet to be courageous enough And, you you know, you got to think, think again about Fotine and how courageous Hmm. she was knowing her reputation in Sychar to go back and tell the men, here's the Messiah. So somehow Hmm. to have that uh, courage, the willingness to lay down your life, take whatever hits you're going to take. And both Eric and I know that knew when we began to write this and are experiencing it, that we're going to take hits for this, but to be willing to do it for the sake of our sisters and then to get help. You know, some people may really need help to uh, know how to say what has happened to them. And I would encourage them to do whatever they need to do to get help. Yeah. That is so powerful. Mm. Man, I wish I wish we just had all day yeah. that we could sit and talk with you both because this is such a rich and deep conversation and I feel as if we've just scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so excited about the conversations that this hopefully will start. Yeah. You know, I think you're so right. We have to start by talking about these things. Um, and I really believe that you two are doing such an amazing thing by God's grace of starting these conversations Mm -hmm. in a way that honors him and honors men and women alike. Thank you. Um, And, you know, before we let you go, we like to ask three fun questions of all of our guests just to help to get to know you a little bit more. So if you're willing, we would love to hear, first of all, what is a current favorite thing of yours? Right now, for me, I, I think it's Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Oh, yes. and, uh, <laughs> I grew up watching Mr. Rogers every day, uh, you know, back in the, in the 80s. And uh, I'm so mm. thankful my mom put me in front of the TV to watch that program. And now <laughs> I'm watching it on Amazon Prime with my eight-year-old son, and he loves it. Aww. And I'm realizing what a genius Mr. Rogers was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was trying to view the world through the eyes of a child 
particularly mm-hmm. through the eyes of um, the children in his city uh, who often were poor and mm-hmm. may not have mm-hmm. a whole family. Um, and the mm-hmm. ways that he intentionally did things uh, uh, to undercut racism, to help kids mm-hmm. feel comfortable in foreign situations was just brilliant. And I think I'm learning mm-hmm. how to be a better pastor from him. Oh, That's awesome. I love that. I need to go back and rewatch some Mr. Rogers. <laughs> how about you, Elise? Yeah, so what I'm loving right now is constant comment T, which was something that mm. I used to love a long time ago, but I've, I'm trying not to... I drink caffeine at all. And mm-hmm. so I'm drinking constant comment tea. I drink a pot of it every day. It's really lovely. <laughs> mm. I am also a big tea fan. I'm currently drinking my go-to rooibos yes, tea rooibos. as we're having our conversation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Huge I can't do the caffeine, so <laughs> it's got to be rooibos for me. <laughs> That's so fun. All right. Our next fun question here is what is currently on your nightstand? So I'll, I'll say what I'm reading. Um, I'm actually, two things I want to recommend. One is I'm reading through the Lunar Chronicles, which is Ooh. a teen fiction. And uh, the author has taken all of the uh, princess stories, all of the fairy tale stories, and mm-hmm. uh, brought them up into um, actually science fiction. So it's called The Lunar Chronicles, and it's actually quite good. It's good teen fiction. And then I also want to really quickly recommend the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB Study Mm -hmm. Bible. Um, That is now my go-to Bible. So Christian Standard Bible. Cool. (laughs) Love it. That's actually the version that we use in all of our Bible studies and on our app. It's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, if, uh, what's on my nightstand? My wife would tell you a tower of books that's threatening my life. <laughs> Should it fall in the middle of the night? And a lot of dust bunnies. Um, but a, a few things that uh, I'm I, I'm reading right now. Uh, I'm trying to make my way through Little Women, and uh, mm. because my daughter told me I had to read it. Now, have you gone and seen the movie? I have yet? not. Last I heard, you had. I have not. <laughs> Oh. I haven't either, actually. It's good. But I've heard it's really it's good. It's very good. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to take my daughter to go see it. So I don't even know if it's still in theaters in my area, but yeah, I don't know. It might not. We'll be. see it at some yeah. point. Yeah, it might not be. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the other thing I'm reading right now is uh, a copy of an advanced copy of Amy Bird's book, "Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood," huh. and hmm. I think it comes out in early May. And it's going to be controversial. She is going to take a lot of pushback. But Mm. uh, right now I'm halfway through. And I think the things she's saying and the questions she's asking are spot on. Mm. And Mm. um, I don't know why it will be controversial other than she's pushing back against what a lot of popular authors and pastors have said, Mm -hmm. but I think she's asking the right questions and making the right observations Mm. about the Bible. And I think whether people agree with her or disagree with her at the end of the day, she needs to be taken seriously Mm -hmm. and Mm. conversations need to be started from the things that she is getting at in that book. It's really Mm. good. And again, we have that freedom to listen to the voices that we might not even always agree with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Our final question for you all is what is one resource that has most stirred your own affection for the word of God? You know, um, I want to, I want to say my husband (laughs) and you know, um, I've been married for over 45 years and every single day, Phil, when I get up in the morning, which is usually after Phil, because he's an early riser, he also sleeps, Mm. which gives him an advantage. But um, (laughs) he, uh, he reads his Bible every single day. Every day of Mm. our marriage, I have seen him read his Bible in the morning. Mm. And Mm. that encourages me to, oh, he's reading, I better go. I better go do it. Mm. And that's, so that's been very helpful for me. I love that. I would have to say my local church, it's, it's hard uh, to do Christian life on Mm -hmm. your own. Mm -hmm. And uh, our local church, Grand Avenue Baptist in Ames is a people that loves the Mm -hmm. Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, They love to study it. They love to talk about it. Our services uh, from Obviously, our scripture readings to our sermons, to our songs, to uh, our our liturgy is just saturated with mm-hmm. the Bible, and uh, and people love to discuss it, and so they they keep my heart mm-hmm. stirred. To That's hear absolutely what God says. beautiful. I know that I always say that my local church is right up there with just continuing to push me back to God's Word yeah. and to to study together and to hear. Um, the stories of God's faithfulness coming from the people in my local body and to see their gifts being put on display. Mm -hmm. Um, Such an amazing call back to God and his word. So, well, we just want to once again, thank you both so much for joining us. This has been such a great 45 minutes to an hour that I have just loved spending with you all. So um, we're going to link your book, Um, and your podcast in our show notes and everybody go and check it out. And until next Tuesday, we will talk to you soon.